Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother, Michael, to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be getting deep into the chapters we're discussing and those that came before it, but the only spoilers beyond the chapter we discussed today will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a, dec a decade ago. Today, we're discussing Arya 3, Ned 8, and Catelyn 5 of the Game of Thrones. You know, that wasn't my best intro I've ever done. How's it going, Michael? Uh, I don't actually listen to you when you do the intro, so that's reasonable. No that also idea. explains why you never know what number chapter we're on. Yeah, well, you, you say words, and there's a lot of words on this podcast we exchange. I want to like save myself for the number of words I have to hear come out of your yapping mouth. That's reasonable. I imagine the <laughs> listeners feel the same way. We uh, uh, we have an important moment in these chapters. It's the return of your favorite phrase. It's oh my been God, a few winter weeks. is coming. Did you know? It is coming, Dan. And I did know because they say it a lot. It's been uh, like three weeks. That's true. And I'll also note, uh, I think the one time that I noticed it in our in our grouping of chapters here, it was actually just a thought. They didn't even say it out loud. Mm. They wanted well, to. Good. Yeah. I like when this... they don't say it because when they say it too much in the book, I start wanting to say it in real life, like in a non-related situation. Like I go to McDonald's and the ice cream ice cream machine is broken. And they're like, sorry, no ice cream. I'm like, oh, winter is coming. Winter is here. Oh, that is devastating. The worst. Well, uh, with that wonderful intro, should we uh, should we get going? Oh, man. I am so excited to talk about the beginning of this chapter. Okay. We're looking at... So, so well, to your point from earlier, uh, this is Aria what? <laughs> Aria 3. <laughs> Aria 3, yeah. So, okay, so where Aria have we been recently, Michael? Uh, you know, I have no idea. Ah, oh, that's right. Okay, so uh, we've been <laughs> hanging out. I'm like, right, where have we been? We're crushing um, it. No, it's not It's not fair to ask me that because I was just reading the chapters for this episode and they all jump around and they all are all over the place. So where have we been? We've been on the road going to the Erie with Catelyn Lannister, who has captured nope. Catelyn Stark. There you go. I do read this book. I really do read it. And I read the <laughs> words in it and everything. And I like it. You know, Michael, you're just getting into the fan fiction early. You know, you just heard oh Tyrion God. getting married. You're I shipping mean, them. Hey, no spoilers. He was trying to flirt with her at the end of this last chapter. That's true. Um, all right. Catelyn Stark has <laughs> captured and taken prisoner Tyrion Lannister. They are on the road to the Eerie so that she can go see her sister Lysa. Uh, and this is done as kind of a fake out because she kind of said to everybody who saw this capturing happen that they're going to Winterfell. So a little bit of a yes. fake out there. However, on the road, they've come under attack a few times by the hill people or whatever they're called, the local folk, uh, who seem to mostly just be poor, starving farmers uh, out for blood for some reason. Well, they're they're more uh, militant than farmers. They're you know they're raiders and barbarians and kind of the others, the violent others, if you will, not uppercase others, lowercase others. You know the 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 Roman barbarian types. Yeah, they're poor. They're poor farmers. I think we're saying the same thing. Uh, we barbarians, are. sure. They're they're skinny, and all their stuff is made of garbage. Uh, yes. they're like the bad guys in Waterworld. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, all right, I see that. Uh, so she's on the road there and Tyrion has started to make some suggestions in defense of himself, which has started to cast a little doubt in Catelyn's mind about what the heck is going on. Is Tyrion the perpetrator or not? Yep. What's going on? So a little bit of doubt there. Before What's that, happening in King's Landing? King's Landing tournament, Hand of the King is 
to come to a close. We had a lot of really awesome character development. We saw it through Sansa's eyes and then through Ned's, uh, but really getting this understanding of a lot of these knights that were competing about the Clegane brothers and yes. their stories as well. Some character growth from Sansa as she really is growing up in a really nice and per- like mature professional way. Still don't like her, but it's cool to see her mature. <laughs> you uh, can not like her, but like the character. Yeah, neither. Find That's the character fine. interesting. Uh, um, <laughs> and then, uh, and what's it called? And Ned continues to you know, kind of deal with the nonsense that is the politics in front of him, as well as seems to be inching closer, if not at an incredibly slow pace, towards some kind of understanding of something that's happening that led to John Aaron's death. Yep. All right. And now we're finally back at a cool character, although we just saw Tyrion, but that was cool. So now we're back to Arya. And Arya is yeah. dope and, in fact, continues to be dope here. Arya is the best. Um, and we start with her catching cats. Uh, and I have to say, I have such fun reading George R. R. Martin's writing. And I know I've made a comment before. I don't think he's the best at writing from a women's perspective. That's just a small comment. I don't I, like I say that smallly as a comment. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. I will say, I don't think he's ever had a cat. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't seem like a cat person to me. Uh, I thought the description of, of all the many cats she's caught before this one was, was perfect. You know, you've got the fluffy little fine ones who are just looking to snuggle and those were easy to catch and now you've got this asshole cat you know? i guess i'm like the, the where i took uh a, a little bit of not offense but a little bit of umbrage <laughs> towards, is when she, she aria is reflecting on when she first started trying to catch cats and she couldn't even catch like the fat lazy kitchen cat oh yeah speaking as the uh proud owner of a fat lazy kitchen cat it's really not hard to catch not her. hard she must be really <laughs> bad at the dance of water or whatever yeah, it is well, okay so she needed to learn Sirio is teaching her so but that's what she's doing so she is uh she's continuing to follow the teachings of Sirio for uh mm-hmm. this sort of weirdly flamboyant a very strange sword teacher type foreigner person. yes and as part of her training she's really learning all these weird almost ninja-like skills how to be silent how to go unseen how to use a sword and all of these things and she and a lot of this comes out here we found out on the last chapter um, like a previous chapter from ned that you know he, that he finds what Sirio is teaching her to be kind of weird. Uh, so it's not this is the normal way of swords, um, and that's what she's doing here. She really is trying to catch cats, and things move in a kind of a really fun, quick way at the beginning of this chapter. Mm-hmm. She's trying to catch cats. She's been at it all day. She's covered in kind of these scratches and cuts and scars on her arm. She's and filthy. I love- she went to Sirio after the first few scratches and he was like, yeah, you just suck at this. Get better. Be better. Go faster. (laughs) Get Uh, good. And she's starting to go through these little mantras as she's doing this as well. Light Mm -hmm. as a feather, quiet as a shadow, fast as a snake, other things. Um, And it's, it's really delightful to see it. And what's fun about her chasing cats just from a narrative point of view is it lets her kind of go to awkward places and so she's down some corridor here at the within the walls of the kingdom or whatever the and sure enough, yeah the castle of the castle and and she gets caught by two lannister uh children a princess and a prince baratheon children yeah but they're blonde with curly hair lannister if you say so their dad's I, robert baratheon show me the proof that it's their dad uh We'll we'll get. This into is too that. early to get into this. Right. We'll, we'll get there. 
Anyway, the point is, is that uh, she, two things kind of happen all at the same time. So while she's out trying to catch cats, she is stopped by this prince and princess who don't recognize her. She is too dirtied and too sort of for, like weird looking to be recognized. Mm-hmm. They confuse her as a boy. And she's, she's like this peasant boy. She's yeah. she's dirty. She's all scratched up. Her clothes are tattered. Uh, what is this poor kid doing inside the walls? What is he doing to that cat? That what saying? is he doing to that cat? <laughs> and Arya takes advantage of not being recognized to basically run away. And she kind of eludes the guards and mm-hmm. goes on this wonderful sort of Aladdin type jaunt through the castle. And uh, she finds I feel like herself. It's also crucial to mention that they're asking what is she, what is that boy doing to that cat because she did catch it. We got to she did. We got to celebrate her here. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Sorry. But with that said, no, 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 not at all. And uh, she did catch the cat, but she goes on this sort of like Aladdin, like, you know, escapade to avoid the guards and capture. Mm-hmm. And she finds herself, uh, she finds herself kind of lost. Uh, she's inside the keep. She's in some weird passageways. And she comes, she comes to this really fun room of monsters. Yeah. And I am willing to bet, because she doesn't say it straight out, but I'm willing to bet these are the dragon skulls yeah. that have been alluded to before. This is what, you know, these yeah, sort of Tyrion told us about seeking them That's out. That's right. And how fun. And I got to say, I'm starting to, it, it's so funny to say this because we are, you had mentioned this last time. We're about halfway through this book. Now we're, I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's page 342 on the edition that I have uh, out of what I think is a 600 page book. I could look, I'm not going to. Yeah, they're about. Um, but with that said, there is a deliberate methodical pace to everything that goes on. And it's fun to now see things starting to refer back and call back to these Mm -hmm. other things that we already heard about. It's not just a story about dragon skulls in the castle. It's a real room that Arya is now really facing and seeing. Um, Yeah. And I really love, you know, her emotions in reaching this because you really get to see her training from Sirio and how that's reinforcing who she is as a person right now. Mm. Cause she gets there and there are these crazy monsters and it's terrifying. I mean, she even has this moment where she, she turns and sees one and her eyes adjust to the dark and she sees the monster, the giant bone, huge teeth and it's scary. And she backs away from it as her first instinct and hits another one. And it feels like it's clamping down on her. It's mm-hmm. biting her cause she's backed into this tooth, but then she stops, she collects herself she comes up with, you know, I think the the most crucial of the mantras that she's learned from Syria, uh, which is is fear cuts deeper than swords. Mm. She takes a moment, really reduces her heart rate, and uh, and so you can just see how he's getting through to her with these these lessons that he's teaching and how she's really internalizing what it is he's trying to communicate to her. I'll add to that too, and you've brought this up a few times, but you know that George R. R. Martin. And, and what the ages that he applies to his characters can be a little weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. I will say it's actually really nice to see such a young child's experience in these emotional reactions to things. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's done really well. It's it, it's fun to see her feel like an adult, but still go through these real hurdles that are children hurdles. And I'm not just referring to her fear here, which is a real and understandable thing, but the overcoming it and finding kind mm-hmm. of calm from what Sirio has given her. Uh, so a lot of fun. Yeah. From there, it moves pretty quick. She starts trying to kind of find her way out of being lost. She wants to get out of this room and she comes 
to a, a place. And, and again, I'm going to just leave it as she's kind of, I, I, I'm a little lost visually where she is mm-hmm. in the keep. She is somehow in a basement, but far above deeper basements. She is able to kind of peer down and see yeah. things. So we actually get a little bit more insight on this as the chapter goes on, but I'm just going to combine it all here. This is a really cool visual image. She ends up in this room. She runs from the monsters next uh, from the dragons and ends up in this room where there's a giant hole <laughs> in the ground. It's mm. described as a well, as a deep, dark well. Um, but it seems, you know, the size of a room pretty much like most of the room that she's in is taken up by this well. And it is wrapped with stairs, spiraling stairs around the edges of it. So, mm. I mean, I don't think you ever played this, but I, I go straight to an image from Final Fantasy VII where they're like in the basement of this house and there's a secret passageway and you go down this big circular thing that just has descending stairs around the mm. edges. And so that's what I'm picturing here. And then crucially, as the chapter goes on and these characters who we're about to see come up and out of it, one of them presses a button pretty much and the well closes. So this is like a secret under the castle passageway that's going Mm. on that can be opened or closed by design to let people in or out and kind of cover up its existence. I'll add, and it's well. Well, let me get uh, forward first, and then I'll I'll, I'll make a little mm-hmm. addition to that. But I, I do want to flag the secret passageways for a second mm-hmm. uh, and bring yeah. that back up. But so here she is. She's moving away from this sort of scary room with these very scary monsters in it. These these dragons, skulls, and bones. And she comes to a place where she sees a light, sort of this this light of a torch in a distance down this long winding staircase. Mm-hmm. And she starts to hear these two men talking. And she goes into sort of the training that she's gotten from Sirio. She is staying silent. She is staying hidden, but she's listening and she's trying to soak in what they what she's hearing. Yeah, and I will say the following conversation becomes quite the interesting one dan quite the interesting one so let's let's actually switch this around a little bit let's start with the descriptions we get of the two men Mm -hmm. and see if you have any thoughts on that and then get into what they talk about so as the two men come up and out of this well with their torch they can't see Arya, but Arya can see them and we get these descriptions one of them is a stout man in a leather half cape He walks soundlessly and has a round scarred face and a stubble of dark beard, and he's wearing armor and carrying some weapons. Something about him is oddly familiar to Arya. The other one is grossly fat, but walks lightly like a water dancer and is wearing rings covered with jewels on every finger, sometimes two rings on one finger, and has a forked golden or yellow beard. So did you have any thoughts? I mean, certainly the content of the conversation give some some interest to this as well. But did you have any thoughts on who these men were? Because obviously we do not get names. So I started to think about, like, like I started actually bringing something up about this last conversation. And I'm going to say it again. I personally have a hard time with character descriptions and and, and mm-hmm. memorizing them and saying like, oh yeah, that's who that one looks like. I'm paying a lot more attention to situations. And yeah. All that. Similar to something else I brought up last time, which is I, it's, it feels so present to me that like I should know this and like like this is not these feel like characters I should know but I think one of them is Illyrio I think one of them is from the Daenerys chapters that this is the what makes you say that so honestly it's like a, a paragraph after some of these physical descriptions and really he starts bringing up the call like called drogo and he yeah. starts bringing up uh the the princess is with child now i don't know if danny's with child or not or whatever but the well, princess no, we, we got confirmation oh that's right that. that's right yeah. she she did uh in in that in that night the of end passion. of her last chapter yeah um uh, 
Yeah, but but I think it was those two things. I was like, who okay. would really know that? Who would be aware of that? And then again, some some traits that were sort of mentioned. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and confirm this for you. Ooh. Because, yeah, so so I am like you. I do not pick up on the physical descriptions right away. It's much more about the context clues. But going back to Danny's first chapter, let me let me go ahead and read you the description we get of Magister Illyrio here. See if anything clicks. All right. He moved with surprising delicacy for such a massive man. Beneath loose garments of flame-colored silk, rolls of fat jiggled as he walked. Gemstones glittered on every finger, and his man had oiled his forked yellow beard until it shone like real gold. That's that's about as close to it's pretty. Yeah, that sounds that's like one to one right there. So yeah, no, I think you're picking up on this correctly. This guy is coming clearly from Danny's storyline, uh, and uh, and now he's here in the Red Keep out of nowhere. What about the other guy? Any thoughts there? You, uh, I I want to have thoughts so bad. I okay. uh, I have no thoughts at all. I think I, I, the description as it's laid out here, right? So it's like. This is a stout man in a leather half cape, mm-hmm. heavy it's kind boots. of armored like a warrior. Yeah, I okay. thought maybe somebody from the Night's Watch, but that didn't oh, make any sense to me. It, but it also didn't make sense in the sense that like Arya would recognize immediately what a Night's Watch person would look like. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Night's Watch dress and things like that. I heard boiled yeah, leather, I heard chainmail. It's like I feel like that would stand out. Part of me wanted to say Varys but only because he's sneaky and maybe he's, yeah, they mentioned spiders at some point, like the spiders are whispering, blah, blah, blah. But I think they're using that as a phrase okay. more than they're listening to the spiders. Well, let's get uh, into the, uh, into the conversation and see if anything occurs to you. I really hope that if this, if it is clear who it is, you tell me like you did with Illyria, because I'm, I'm very troubled at not knowing this. I'm going to be honest. I, I had, an extensive debate with myself earlier today if I was going to give you that earlier Illyrio description or not. Mm. And I decided that it would it would depend on your guesses. If Darn you it. hadn't brought it up, I wasn't going to bring it up either. So, so I'm going to need you to make some, some okay, predictions we'll see. here and we'll go from there. Uh, okay. So she she sees these two men. So going taking a step back, right? Because the descriptions come after some of the conversation. So she sees these two men. And uh, they the first sentence she hears is, dot 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 found one bastard uh and i'll be honest immediately i i know this must be ned that they're Uh talking about he's found that bastard this is what happened at the at the the place that they forged the stuff and whatever the blacksmithy but basically and i don't dan i'll be honest i i don't know how much detail to give here because it's so rich with with information and clues so why don't don't i carry us through the conversation okay yeah why don't you you and and you can slot in where you have thoughts so yeah so it starts off he's found one bastard the rest will follow soon uh they also discuss a clear reference to the failed attempt on brand's life Mm -hmm. uh the speaker says this is going to complicate things more the wolf and lion will soon be at each other's throats whether we will it or no so clearly this is a conversation referring to ned here and I'll add too that when they talk about the attempt on Bran's life, they talk about it as something that happened outside of their own plotting that they seem to be getting to. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like they're talking about the Lannisters. Somebody, whoever it is that tried to kill this Bran kid, bungled it. <laughs> they really yeah. sucked at it. So the one, yeah, absolutely, they're very frustrated with the way that that went and uh, and the consequences that seems to be bringing. The one that we've identified as as Magister Illyrio. Uh, it says, you need to slow everything down. And uh, the other guy says, do you think I'm a wizard? You're pretty much, you're asking for the impossible here. 
To which Illyrio says, if one hand can die, why not a second? You have danced the dance before. So this seems like a, a an implication that this other speaker was responsible or involved in John Aaron's death in some mm-hmm. way. But the other speaker says, no, this hand is not the other. Once again, Illyrio repeats, we need more time. This is where he says, the princess is with child. The call will not bestir himself until his son is born. Uh, to which the other man says, if the call waits, it may be too late. This is no longer a game for two players if it ever was. And here we get a list of kind of the other players and where this speaker thinks they are. Mm-hmm. We get a reference to Stannis Baratheon and Lysa. They have mm-hmm. both evaded. They've left my realm of influence, my sphere of influence. And my whispers say that they're gathering soldiers around them. And that's the uh, line, by the way, that makes me think it's Varys. Okay. What what about it? Mostly that the whispers are saying like outside okay. of my reach and the whispers are gathering, like say mm-hmm. that like our, our, my whispers are whispering. Yeah. Uh, next, we hear Loris Tyrell, the Knight of Flowers, writes to his father asking him to send his sister to court. He and Lord Renly are plotting to make her Robert's new wife. And I actually I wanted to linger on this for a moment because this has now come up three times, I think three episodes in a row for us once each week, talking about the younger uh, Tyrell girl. Mm -hmm. We first had the reference that Renly brought her up to Ned to see if maybe she looked like Lyanna. Then we had a a reference of her coming up again last Mm. week. Renly once again was referenced as having mentioned her. And now we get this explicit reference, this explicit statement. This person is attributing an intention to Loris Tyrell and Renly to try and supplant Cersei. And specifically last week, when you were talking about your theory of what John Aaron was investigating and what you think Ned is now investigating, you were saying the only logical explanation for the Lannister fear and the Lannister actions was in protection effectively of Joffrey's claim to the throne mm-hmm. against accusations that he's not actually Robert's kid. And I was kind of pushing back with a, a reference to this, to the hints we've seen about this before, that if there are other players in King's Landing plotting against Cersei to knock her out of contention, that from a selfish instinct, she may not particularly care about Joffrey's claim, but is acting out of self-preservation. So I want to hear, you know, did you have any thoughts on that when you were seeing this reference? I mean, here we have people at court, influential people at court, including the King's brother, who are trying to undermine her. And like, like, if Robert's putting her aside for a new bride, she's getting executed. Like you don't live past that. Right. Um, I will. So I will say that, that this conversation that as, as Arya is overhearing it, it felt like it was like a flower blooming to me up until this point, even through the end of the last episode that we did, the last chapters that we read, this has been a book about Lannisters and Starks with a lot of sort of minor players. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the conflict is Lannisters and Starks. The conflict is, you know, uh, these people vying for power or trying to protect a noble nobility of power or whatever. Right. Now with this conversation, I'm now, like I said, sort of a blooming of of the story and narrative. Really, it really opens up here. 
all of a sudden, there are a lot more players who have a lot more invested in a lot of the things that are going on. It's no longer who's on Team Stark and who's on, you know, Team Lannister. Everybody's got their plans. There's a lot of other agendas, clearly. So here's some things that I took away from this conversation, right? Uh There are these two characters talking, one who is obviously Illyrio, the second who I'm thinking might be Varys, but somebody else of some type of powerful sway, enough to potentially hold off a war, Mm -hmm. uh, delay a war. Uh, but they're talking about what has been a long, like drawn out plot. With this, they also refer to things that make me think that it wasn't Lannisters that killed John Aaron. It okay. must have been somebody else because it it's there. I mean, they're saying that they did it, these two. And they're saying that whoever tried to kill Bran really messed that up. And I want to come back to that in a minute in a later chat, like bungled. And that, that okay. the killing of Bran seems to be outside of what their own like political plot might be. I, okay, I, I want to uh, respond to one brief factual moment. They don't say outright that they killed John Aaron. There is a reference: one hand could die. Why not another? So, first of all, we don't know for sure that that's a reference to John Aaron, and there's also no attribution, no explicit attribution of of the conduct. This could be a general reference to plots killed this guy. So I just want to put that out Mm, there. Okay. Uh, You know, I I think you're reading it understandably. It certainly sounds that way. They're certainly talking with familiarity and definitely the conclusion of it is one hand could die. Why can't you kill this one? So, you know, for parallelism, you're, you're making sense, but I just wanted to focus on the exact words here. I guess. And and the thing, just by the way, the, the reason that I thought it was that other character, not Illyrio, but the other one who did kill John Aaron literally did mm-hmm. is Illyrio's line. You have danced the dance before my friend. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah, maybe that's a broader statement about just being an assassin of some kind or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's what made me think that it was this guy in particular. Okay. I will add on to this that we now understand that Stanith and Stannis and Lysa, or more particularly Stannis, uh, has insight into some of these political like like deviousness and that's yeah. and is now building up weapons we now also find out very directly that lord renly and sir loris are trying to find a way to bring this this uh flower girl what's her name knight of flowers woman yeah the, the younger tyrell yeah to come and possibly like like usurp cersei and they also bring up littlefinger who you didn't mention yeah. yet but the next sentence is Little the line is Littlefinger. The gods only only know what game Littlefinger is playing. I just uh, I want to take a moment and throw out some more thoughts for you, yeah, just to please. include in this mix. So first of all, uh, what we have about Loras Tyrell and Renly is an accusation here. You know, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know where that's going. We can connect it to the fact that Renly has brought up this younger Tyrell a couple of times. Ned was of the opinion that that meant Renly was interested. Uh, so, you know, there are different interpretations here uh, that certainly we know the Tyrells are an important house. Uh, they're the heads of the Reach. This could be have other things going on. The other thing that I want to add to that, though, is that Renly did in the tournament, the chapters we discussed last week, bet on Loras Tyrell and make a ton of money off of that. Mm. So, you know, we know that Tyrion likes to bet on his personal relationship with Jamie. Maybe there's something there, maybe not. Just want to, we'd see some connections between the two of them here. I'll add from stuff that was brought up here and, and just what you said a minute ago about Renly asking if this woman looks like Liana and, and things like that, how fun it's been to have gone through the 
those mentions of it thinking that Renly might want someone that looks like Liana for some reason mm-hmm. and to now see it as oh I wonder if Robert Baratheon is going to find her attractive the way he found Liana attractive yeah yeah absolutely the other thing I just wanted to mention is we have to think of you know the John Aaron and Stannis plot as as falling somewhere in here in terms of yeah. players who have their own motivations and interests and we've talked about those at length we don't need to get back into that discussion but we have john aaron investigating something we have at the beginning of the book cersei and jamie discussing when they thought nobody was listening about you know worrying about john aaron about the accusations lysa might have related to mm-hmm. john aaron uh and we know you know that, that john aaron's been poking around robert's bastards and that stannis was somehow involved in that so you know just just mill these ideas about like you said, the mention of Littlefinger is who who fucking knows. And yeah. then we end this list of players with uh, another return back to Ned, completing the circle. Ned is causing problems for the people chatting. He has the book, he has the bastard, and soon he'll have the truth. Now, Which Catelyn is continues taken. to frustrate me, by the way. He has the book, <laughs> he's got the bastard. What am I not seeing from this? Yeah. Uh, and he brings up, you know, now Catelyn has taken Tyrion, thanks to Littlefinger, he says. And that's going to get Tywin and Jamie moving. If they attack, the Tullys will also get pulled into it. So here we have uh, every major house that we've learned about so far coming right. up in this conversation. And I'll add, too, she has Tyrion, thanks to Littlefinger, goes back to something that you had brought up a little while ago about, you know, if Littlefinger deliberately lied about the knife mm-hmm. implicating Tyrion, what's the motivation there? Maybe it's to get there's actually something that comes up, I think, later in this chapter or the next one. I'll, I'll bring it up when it does come up. I flagged it. But uh, that that made me made me think about this again and Littlefinger and what maybe he is or is not trying to do. All right. Yeah. Uh, so the, they close the well in the ground, like I said, and then leave. And the last things that Arya here is the man uh, who we have not identified request another 50 birds. And the other guy says, so many, the ones you need are hard to find, so young to know their letters, maybe older, or if they kept their tongues, and then they fade out of the distance. So uh, before we move on, we're, we're pretty much done with this part of the chapter. Do you have a firm prediction on who this man is? Do you do you no. want to go on the record here? Okay. I have no idea. I, I want to say Varys, but again, that's just going back. There's nothing about it. It's, it's really guesses at this point. I, I yeah. And I mean, the physical description does not line up. Does not all. line up at all. Yeah. Uh, scarred face. Maybe it's the hound. Stubble. Yeah. Could yeah be. But I feel like the hound has some other very recognizable uh, features yeah. that are not brought up here. I will point out also with respect to Varys that uh, he is a eunuch. And we've gotten mm-hmm. references before to him being hairless because of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But he's got a stubble. of. Okay. Anyway, we can keep moving. Oh, you're not going to tell me, are you? I'm not. You're the worst. You're going to have to wait. Oh, you know what else, though? I will say, I, I did wonder if maybe it was somebody else on the King's Council. I thought okay. it might be like a like a Pyrell-type person, although Pyrell, I think, Pycelle. is older. Pycelle. Yeah, Pycelle's uh, oldest older. Shit. Yeah, like, like not that, but I, I, I don't know it, it okay. is the answer. I'm still just guessing. Yeah, I mean, Pycelle was not mentioned in this list of players uh, for whatever reason, and neither was Barristan Selmy. Is right. another name that's been around the council. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's fair. So that conversation fades away. Arya has overheard it. She's understands. Obviously, her, she heard her father's name. Her mind is racing with what could go on. But now she's lost again. Uh, she finds herself trying to follow them out and makes it out 
of this secret passageway. Oh, and that was the other reason for Varus, secret passageways. And I was going to bring that up too. Like they're yes, crawling around secret passageways. Him, so we've seen him use those in the, the red keep before. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, so she finds herself, basically she gets out. She she finds the, the secret passageway takes her out kind of far away from the keep. Uh, and on the outside of it, I think she's dirty and filthy. She bathes and makes her way back to the keep to let herself back in. She yeah, also, little... it's been like the whole day now. We don't know yeah. what time the day started, but it's now nighttime. Definitely nighttime now. She comes back in through the front door, basically, and uh, again is mistooken for a boy. Uh, specifically uh, a, a peasant boy. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, gets she has to name in. drop Ned, and then they don't even believe that. They're like, yeah, okay, and, you know, my mom's Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> and then she brings up Jory and Veon Pool, and I guess at this point they're like, she wouldn't know those names if yeah, not for some relationship. Let her in. She goes to see her dad and her dad kind of gives her a little bit of a talking to saying, you know, I sent out my guard to go find my guards to go find you. Like what happened? Yeah. And she tries desperately to convey what she just went through and she's not able to. Yeah. Uh, I love this too. Going back to what you were saying earlier in light of her being a child. Yeah. She literally says she didn't understand enough of what they were saying to be able to communicate it back to him. She tried to memorize as much as she could, but there's no conception of any of the things we were just talking about, about the the underlying facts of this conversation. So she can't communicate it at all. I will say, I did think she said a few key words that Ned should have noted. Yeah, probably. I can also appreciate it's his young daughter. He's been nervous yeah. all day. Like, I, I get it. She's talking about monsters. She's talking about I think it's wizards. mixed in with enough of the fantastical that yeah. I get why he would miss it. Monsters, wizards, uh, people who are trying to kill him, you know, should be raise a red flag. Uh, the, the specifics that she brings up that you'd think would would touch a nerve for him she brings up a book and a bastard right off the bat, mm-hmm. right off the bat, which, you know, he, she walks in, he's reading the book. This is clearly front of mind for him. And then a few moments later, she says the princess is with child. And it is actually unclear if Ned has heard this fact yet. We're going to get to that shortly. Yeah. Uh, but if he had, if there was any awareness for him at this point, she has enough facts that she otherwise couldn't have known that maybe it should have been setting off alarm bells for her. But so be it, it doesn't. Uh, he's also got his head up his own butt most of the time. So I'm not terribly <laughs> surprised. Um, Fair enough. But uh, basically, he's, you know, he he's he's not happy uh, just at the fact that she was gone for so long. He doesn't love this Pharrell that's been teaching her. He's going to cancel that. Um, but then they're then inter- interrupted. Yeah, yeah interrupted. Uh, and sure enough, uh, Yorin from the Night's Watch is there. Uh Maybe it was him that's the wizard. No, I'm just kidding. It's not definitely not like we said, Night's Watch. <laughs> he's but, too smelly. That would have yeah, come up. Super smelly. But he's basically there to kind of continue the plea that was made to Tyrion chapters and chapters ago, which was we need men. We need men on the wall. We need them well, to come up here. That's what he's doing in King's Landing generally, but that's not why he's here now. Is it not? So he says, so first of all, he walks in and says, hey, this must be your son. He has your look. So this is just like the fourth time this chapter that this happens to Arya and she loses her shit. But putting that aside, Arya says, you know, is John okay? I want to know about him. Is that why you're here? And he says, I'm here for recruits, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'll go plead my case to you and to the king when the time comes. Uh, but that's not why I ran my horse to death getting here. 
he says he came here because, you know, your brother Benjen, his blood runs black, makes him my brother much as yours. And it's the love I bear for him that I almost killed my horse getting here. Others who were there had the same reaction. Some of them went towards Casterly Rock. Lord Tywin will have gotten the word by now. You can count on it. And then he asks for privacy and Arya gets kicked out. Oh, he's there to talk about Catelyn. Yeah. Yeah, he's sharing. Yeah. And we I get a we get the... a reference from Ned next chapter that he knows about that now. This is mm-hmm. this is his advance warning that Catelyn took Tyrion. Got it. Got it. You, you know what's funny? Just to mention it here is, and I feel like an absolute tool saying this, but like it constantly needs to be reminded to me that this is not a time of cell phones, like not a time yeah. of instant communication. Yeah, Ned uh, doesn't know until he gets here. Exactly. And I understand that there's like a rush towards that as well, like and where that rush could come from, but it's not front of mind for me. Uh, so just always interesting to see that come up. Um, but speaking that... of cats, I've now been greeted by mine. Oh, hello. Is that purring directly into the headphone, Jeez, into the microphone. Bet you can't catch her. <laughs> uh, but with that said, that really rounds out the chapter. Arya is kind of escorted away to her room and she asks, uh, you know, the, the guard that's taking her Desmond, uh, saying, Hey, are we going to be okay? Basically mm-hmm. like, like. And he says, of course, why, why even worry where our Northern men are worth, uh, you know, 10 of those Southern swords, those Lannisters, anybody else that are out there. So don't worry about it. Yeah. I do think it's worth mentioning. uh, This is the first count we've gotten. He says Ned has 50 men here, um, which Arya feels doesn't sound like a lot. And, you know, we know Ned has committed men already to the, to the city watch. It doesn't seem necessarily like he has the strongest force here with him. Just, just worth mentioning in Desmond's response here. Yeah, Ned is useless. So and that, that wraps, wraps out Arya. Yeah, and that takes us to the next chapter, which is Ned. Ned yeah. number nine. Eight. Eight. So close. Uh, something. Numbers. <laughs> um, and this chapter, it feels like it's basically the next day. I mean, like, it feels very quick on the heels of what we just saw. We're now mm-hmm. King's Council, and the King is there, and the King is having a fit. And yeah, well, so is Ned. I mean, they're having a a brawl here there's a whole whole feud tempers blaring temple tempers blazing argument that they have going on what i think is fun about this and also makes me a little more frustrated with ned based on what aria just shared with him is that we find out that ned now like they're talking about things that we as the reader and aria as the listener and our eyes and ears in the last chapter just talked about king robert baratheon is freaking out because he now knows that daenerys Targaryen is pregnant. Yeah. And what he's brought up before, and that's what he's saying now, I've brought this up before. She's going to have a child. Somebody's going to come for the throne. We need to nip this in the bud. It's time to murder this pregnant girl. This And Ned basically is saying, no fucking way. We're not in the business of killing children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not in the business of killing women, like uh, and pregnant women at that. This is insane. And I won't stand for this. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting to have this follow immediately on the prior conversation because with Illyrio showing up and having this conversation about plans and goals, uh, we actually didn't totally get into this. They're talking about pushing off the war to time it in some way and have the timing work out with Danny. And so right. these people are, it's Illyrio, who we know has a lot of resources and power, in Essos, in Pentos, speaking Mm -hmm. with somebody who seems to have a sphere of influence in Westeros, in this kingdom, and as best we can tell from that conversation, is working 
on Daenerys's behalf, which gives a lot more backing to Robert's complaints here. And we've had this conversation before that, you know, for all of the silliness of Viserys saying everybody back home is praying for me to get here, we have some concrete examples that maybe there is more of a threat to it than Ned is letting on and something that legitimizes what Robert is saying, putting aside the moral aspect of this conversation, which we'll have to come back to just from a strategic standpoint, maybe Robert does have some idea of what's going on. I'll tell you in, in the silliest way and for the silliest comparison, this actually reminds me a lot of a Don DeLillo book called Libra. And Libra is the story of the assassination of JFK and sort of Bay of Pigs and things that are going on with Cuba. Uh, okay. And so you have these two characters. You have Lee Harvey Oswald, who's sort of the main character. You have JFK, who's assassinated. And you have both of their politics and thoughts about what's going on. And then you have the CIA and all these sort of like, you know, these these black-handed, you know, you know, you know, underhanded type type characters who are really setting up the entire grounds for them to to prosper the most. They mm -hmm. want to make sure that their their access is there. And that's kind of the feeling that I have here. I don't feel nor have I felt that Illyrio is such a Targaryen supporter. I right. think that he wants friends in high places. Yeah. Uh and, and we've that, talked and about that before. You know, it's part of the silliness coming from Viserys is this ideal, the people love me, the people want mm -hmm. their rightful king back. The people don't give a shit. The, no. the, the lowborn certainly don't care. And the highborn are working from material advantage. And we've seen that, you know, even going back to Robert's Rebellion, we've seen that there were people who picked sides on, you know, uh, against what you would have expected from them in terms of who they reported to and all of those things. And you have to imagine that there was plenty of jockeying for position that was going exactly. on in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, but so this argument continues and basically they take it to kind of a vote around the table mm -hmm. uh, and Ned votes against it, as does Sir Barrison Selmy, who yes. you had mentioned earlier as not being mentioned in the conversation in the past chapter. I don't remember who Barrison Selmy is, to be quite honest. He's the um, he's the head of the Kingsguard. So that mm -hmm. is a council role, but the, his, 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 you know, secret service. Right. I, but they vote against it. I... Whereas the others vote for it. Basically, everybody else says, yeah, let's do it. So I'll, I'll jump in here just to say, you know, Ned has this back and forth debate with Robert that I actually really enjoy, which is what I was just referring to, kind of the moral dimension of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And Ned makes, you know, some arguments from a strategy side that the risk is so far away. You know, we don't know if the kid will be a boy. We don't know for sure she's pregnant, to which Varys takes offense. Uh, he's like, I wouldn't. My sources are good. I'm good at what I do. Uh, but even if she is pregnant, she might miscarry. She might not have a boy, which wouldn't threaten the succession. Uh, the kid might die young because that happens a bunch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even beyond all of that, even Egon did no conquering until after he was weaned. You need this baby to grow up into a man. And then the man needs to get here with these Dothraki. That's never going to happen. The Dothraki don't sail. So he does make the strategy arguments. He also attacks Robert's manhood at one point, which was the strategy we saw work surrounding the melee. Uh, but primarily the central thrust of Ned's conversation here is this is evil. Right. You're talking about murdering a child and her unborn baby even more of it. Like these are innocents. These are not anybody who has done anything wrong to you. You cannot do this. I will also add to that as well, that like, it does speak to Ned's Ned's naivete a little bit as well. And I'm not against his noble, like aspiration, mm -hmm. like just his opinion here, but just from the last chapter, we, we, as the reader know, there's a lot more going on than Ned seems ready to be accept, to accept. 
maybe this is not the worst plan, even though obviously morally uh, awful. So, you know, we've talked before about Ned's naivety uh, in one way of saying it. Another way that we've discussed it is just in terms of him playing a different game than everybody else. And that was certainly the case with Arya's mini trial. And I think that's true again here. He is not playing the same game, but I'm not certain that this is naivety versus a, a principled stand, mm-hmm. which, you yeah. know, he is, he's operating from a moral dimension. And for us, at, well, for me, and hopefully for you too, mm-hmm. as readers, yeah. this is not something I'm inclined to question. He is in the right here. This is fundamentally not something you do. Uh, and he even says at one point, like, what did we rebel for if not to do better than the Mad King did, if not to stop killing children? And this is a callback to kind of the original sin of Robert's rule, which involved killing the babies by mm-hmm. the Lannisters and by the Lannister men that we've seen before. And so, like, yeah, Ned is playing a different game. He's not trying to politic here. He is drawing a line in the sand and saying, this will not be done for me. Yeah. And the only person who really meets him on that level is Pycelle who votes in favor of assassinating Danny off of a strictly utilitarian argument. You kill her and the baby now so as to prevent war later in which mm-hmm. thousands more babies will die. And That's not the worst point either. Yeah, you know, the utilitarian argument in ethics has such an appeal to it. I mean, this is this is something you see show up so often, especially with like the tech bro conversations that we have going mm-hmm. on in the world now. And Ned has a response that really resonates for me on a moral level, which is, you know, the utilitarian argument cannot, the ends don't justify the means. You you have to find another approach. You take the thing that's in front of you. And right now the thing that's in front of you is, do I kill a baby or do I not kill a baby? <laughs> do I kill this 13-year-old or do I not kill this 13-year-old? And there's only one right answer there. And we can deal with the other things when they come up, if they come up later. Uh, and I think this is just a really strong moment for Ned from that perspective. Yeah, I will mention that uh, the conversation as the vote now passes, uh, the question becomes, how do we kill her? And Varys mm-hmm. does mention we could poison her. Dun, dun, dun. Varys yeah. is the one that we were saying he put stubble on his face. Um, I'm just kidding. But but the the point <laughs> is that like it's not lost on me that poison is brought up and poison has been suspect uh, ever since John Aaron. Yeah, and we get a moment here. Uh Varys says that. He brings up the Tears of Lys specifically, which he told Ned is how John Aaron was poisoned. And we get just a line, Pycelle's sleepy eyes flick open at this. And then King Robert also jumps in and says, I don't like that idea either. Poison is dishonorable. Hmm. Uh, Which also sets Ned off instantly too. uh, Because what are you talking about honor? You're talking about killing a child. There's no honor in this either way. Like you're you're really going to quibble over how you do it. Which is fair. With that said, Ned decides to quit. Yeah. Uh, he t- hands in his that last gun. line. Yeah. Yes, he does. That last line in particular also really sets Robert off. He's, you know, honor. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, honor? You have no honor in this. And Robert loses his mind. And that's when Ned says, I'm not involved. Um, yeah. I do also just want to return very quickly to the vote. Mm-hmm. Just want to get people down on paper here. Vera says this is a vile thing we consider, but sometimes you have to do vile things and he doesn't really justify it. Renly says Robert should have done this 15 years ago, but John Aaron stopped him. Mm-hmm. We get Pycelle making the utilitarian argument, like I just mentioned. And then we have a moment where Littlefinger says it's like sleeping with an ugly woman. You just have to close your eyes and get it over with, to which kind of everybody in the room is like, what the fuck, man? You're uh, gross. Yeah. 
the other mention that we get here, I believe we had gotten a reference to this before, but Ned says mercy is never a mistake in response to Renly. And not only is mercy never a mistake, but Robert once upon a time knew that. Sir Barristan Selmy fought against him on the Trident, mm-hmm. killed a bunch of major men of his, bleeding out from his wounds and dying. And Robert brought him a maester, fixed him up, and said, I will not kill a man for loyalty nor for fighting well. And now Barristan's sitting here on the council with him. Uh, so that's just, you know, some background on Barristan that I thought worth mentioning. And also a strong argument, again, from Ned. You know, you have shown an instinct to be better than this before, but something about the Targaryens just sets Robert off. Yeah. Ned basically, like I said, puts down his his badge, his, the insignia of the uh, Hand of the King, says, I'm not going to be part of this. I'm done. And I love this. Uh, I love that that basically Robert basically doesn't understand what's happening. The line is, yeah. defiance was not a dish he, he tasted often. Yeah. Uh, and I like that a lot. But... You know, basically, as Ned is is walking out, there continues the conversation of how are we going to get this to have them murdered? Ned leaves and starts trying to make plans of like, I got to get out of here. Right. Yeah. He brings up that he now knows about Tyrion and Kat. He knows that all this is that he and he's like, this is the best thing that could happen to me. This Things is are insane. about to explode. Better yeah. to not be here. I need to get out of here. I need to get back to my space and, and make sure that's tight. Um, yeah. So he calls in Veon Poole, who we've obviously heard about a bunch. This is his steward has him start making the arrangements mm-hmm. and uh, to, to get him and especially him and Arya and Sansa out of the city as quickly as possible. I will also say that Ned reflects a little bit about his his inquiry that he's doing around John Aaron's murder. And he says, you know, could Robert be part of it? This is not he he actually re, uh, reiterates a line that Catelyn gave him, which is that you knew your friend, not this king. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought that was important to, to, to flag as well. Like, who yeah. knows right now? Things are blowing we also up did... in directions. Yeah, we did just hear also that, you know, it sounds like John and Robert had this argument at one point in time, too. Mm-hmm. Renly's bringing that up there. So maybe some of this news we saw on the King's Road on the way south, Robert get news about Danny's wedding. Uh, but maybe there had been some other recent event regarding her and Pentos or her with Illyria or something that had similarly set him off. And, and maybe they had fought over it. We hadn't heard it referenced, but it's a possibility. So Ned is making plans to leave. He gets pulled to basically start making those plans and making them happen. He's trying to figure out, he's thinking maybe he can even stop and see Stannis on his way out if he takes the water. Yeah, he actually, he specifically, he first says, you know, get us some horses, we'll go that way. And then he changes his mind and says, actually get me a ship because he wants to stop at Dragonstone and meet with Stannis. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a good moment for a map moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragonstone, you've heard mentioned before, that's where Stannis is, that was the Targaryen's old seat. But Dragonstone is actually an island off the coast of Westeros that sits in the mouth of the bay where King's Landing is. So King's Landing is by a river, comes mm-hmm. down into the water, it has a bay. And so any ship leaving King's Landing, uh, and in particular a ship going north that Ned would be on, would have to pass Dragonstone anyway. So this would be a very easy stop for Ned to make. So all these plans start getting put into motion by Poole as he leaves. And at, right as he leaves, who should knock on the door? But uh, Lord Peter Baelish. Yep. And he's done this a couple of times to Ned now. He loves to show up sometimes. Uh, Baelish comes in to basically kind of update Ned about what happened uh, at the rest of the the conversation, uh, shares how much Robert was pissed at Ned, uh, and basically called him out. Insolence and ingratitude seem to come up frequently as Baelish recalls. 
but Baelish actually comes to share something interesting. And I'd actually referred to this just a few minutes ago. And, and, and this, this is what I was referring to. Baelish says, you should be thanking me. I got them to move away from these, these assassins that are well-known apparently. Mm-hmm. The, these the faceless, faceless men. Yeah. Move away from that. And instead, we're going to just put out a call. Whoever does murder this will get a title. Yeah. And Ned's reaction, again, from that that highfalutin sort of nobility is like, great, now we're just giving titles to assassins. And he's Baelish also was, like, yeah, sorry. Well, go ahead. No, no, no. Say, say I was just going to say, I mean, he also reacts like, Baelish, you're full of shit. Like, you just sat there and voted for this. You didn't back me up. And now you're going to come and tell me you were acting in any way in Daenerys Targaryen's defense to help her, which is is fair. I mean, Baelish is, is being his smarmy, slimy self here. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was trying to do anything other than pick the cost-effective approach. I will say, though, that Baelish goes on to say a couple lines that that really stood out to me. I wanted to flag these, if that's all right. He says, if truth be told, I did the Targaryen girl more good than you with all your talk of honor. Let some sellsword drunk on visions of lordship try to kill her. Likely he'll make a botch of it, and afterwards the Dothraki will be on their guard. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want to flag this is because... In the chapter previous, that when the conversation Arya overhears, they talk about how these two characters, these these faceless characters, not the faceless men, obviously, but these faceless characters that we don't really know, right? We think one mm-hmm. is Illyrio, uh, say that Baelish handed Tyrion over, basically implicated Tyrion over to Catelyn. And I wonder, and now here's Baelish saying, I know of a strategy, which is to send a shit assassin that fails in oh. order to tip off some like push somebody in the right way to kind of and we know that this assassin who tried to kill bran was real i well i don't know if we know he's shitty at it he got caught pretty quick It definitely didn't work yeah it didn't work he carrying it like a very obvious knife you know like 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 it's obviously like what what baelish is suggesting is turning but i just thought it was interesting to see this you know all of a sudden baelish is saying i know a strategy like this and we We also have you know this the attack on Bran immediately followed Ned leaving to go to King's Landing mm-hmm. with Lysa's accusation of the Lannisters mm-hmm. in hand going to investigate that. So the idea that maybe Ned needs to be on his guard against Lannisters is, you know, is there a way we can warn him to this to put mm-hmm. him his defenses up? Hey, you're looking at them, but they're looking at you. And that fits perfectly with, you know, Baelish in the past pointing out the spies to Ned and kind of putting him on his guard there. So that's, I, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. And it does similar to that sort of like blooming flower, like, like metaphor that I used in the last chapter. Again, Baelish, who has been this slimy, really gross kind of character clearly has his own like desires in mind. Maybe there's more to that than what I'm like ready to understand. Like I don't understand what he's doing and for why. I will say uh, the counterpoint to this idea that he's acting in protection of Ned specifically in some way. And maybe there's broader intent to it with Starks in general, but Baelish is just always, every time we see them interact, just dunking on Ned across the board. And we get another <laughs> instance of this immediately afterwards. Ned says, you you want me to believe you were trying to help Daenerys Targaryen? How big a fool do you take me for? And Baelish says, well, quite an enormous one, like actually. A huge fool, yeah. <laughs> so like, like, I don't know, if he's working in Ned's on Ned's behalf in some way, uh, lying to him and Catelyn about Tyrion, if that's the case, you know, maybe putting this plan in motion to potentially kill Bran, but hopefully not so as to 
get their guards up. It's a weird way to go about it, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it's and not I'll the, add to the, that the kindest way to go about it. A paragraph and a half later is the literally the end of this chapter. And Baelish says, you know, what's your plan? Uh, I get the feeling you're trying to get out right now. But if you happen to stay around till nightfall, I'll take you to that uh, to that brothel that you've been mm-hmm. looking for. Uh, and again, Baelish clearly knows more than he wants to than he's willing to share all at once. And he seems to just kind of be like, like, you know, little incentives in front of Ned to say, why don't you stick around? I definitely know more. I feel like you Ned think, should really just start torturing him. Yeah, like, right. Do you think Baelish knew where the brothel Ned was looking for before now? Or was this new information that came to him that he was showing up to share with Ned? I don't think that Baelish would run with the information as soon as he got it, but wait for an opportune moment to use it. So whether he okay. knew it a month ago or an hour ago, I think that it's it's he's trying to play something for his own hand. Well, I think the the difference between those two is pretty significant, you know, an hour, a day, whatever it may be. But if this was something that he's had for a little while, you know, we have to assume he's watching Jory the same way anybody else is watching Jory. Mm -hmm. He knew Ned was looking for a brothel and wasn't holding on to it. Then revealing it right now makes me feel like he's trying to get Ned to stick around for Mm -hmm. some reason. I agree. So that's what I'm asking you about. Yeah, that's what Uh, I think it is. I think that it is more intentional. I don't think that it was. I think he was keeping this in his pocket to use it at a, a time for his advantage. Okay. And why might he want Ned to stay? I have no idea. Fair enough. Yeah. No, no clue. Let's, let's keep moving. Before we jump into the next chapter, the last one we're talking about today, just one last note of this conversation with Baelish. He says he finds Ned amusing. You rule like a man dancing on rotten ice. I dare say you will make a noble splash. I believe I heard the first crack this morning. And, you know, again, this fits into the conversations we've been having about Baelish taking shots at Ned. But this isn't really the first time that he's given him this type of warning, like you were just referencing, of you need to be way more careful than you have been. So just worth noting. But that moves us into our final chapter for this episode, which is going to be yeah. Catlin 4? 5. Five. You're so close. I'm so proud close of you. Every time. This Thank is great. Uh, Catlin 5. And it starts with them basically reaching the Eerie. Yeah, we uh, made it. The Veil. It. The Veil. The Veil and then the, the Eerie. And then they have it. to like a, a, like a, a light yeah. to the Eerie. Yeah, so just a crucial distinction. The Veil is the region. Mm-hmm. The Eerie is the castle. So it's, you know, Winterfell is to Eerie as... I, I really enjoy this chapter and not because of Catelyn. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. it, it really like, like I had asked a while ago, you know, is this, is this a fantasy book or, or a detective book, you know, with, uh, with dragons. And this kind of brought me back to fantasy. It's just a beautiful yeah, area. It's so well described. And, and uh, you know, the three levels that it has that she has to sort of alight to, to get to see her sister. There's a lot of internal introspection that she does, uh, mm-hmm. which seems to be a character trait for her, at least in her chapters and and how we get to see her. So I'm not going to dwell into all of her thinking, although I'm happy to go to anything. Well, let's as touch you want on to. uh, let's touch on some of that geography and and the description that we get first, because mm-hmm. that really is the bulk of this chapter. And uh, you know, we're not going to do it justice talking about it here. The prose and the descriptions really are so vivid, uh, but. We get some characterization of the Vale as a region through this. You know, the North was was stark, uh, to use the intentional mm-hmm. pun, and pretty empty of people. It was huge, cold, obviously, and all of that. The Vale is beautiful, like you were saying. It's lush. It's this green farmland, rolling hills and sparkling rivers and all of this. 
And so we start off with cat approaching it through the last mountain pass. You have to go through the mountains to get there. And then you come down out of the mountains through this pass that is fortified with the bloody gate, which is the first setting that we find ourselves in. And this is just, you can imagine uh, this held for a very long time uh, against invaders coming from the mm -hmm. West. It's a very narrow passageway. It's flanked by towers on either side. You've got this big, strong gate at the front. And then once you get past that, it really opens up into the Vale, into this valley, which is between mountains on the North and mountains on the South, and then the, the ocean, the narrow sea to the East. And, you know, she can kind of look out over the whole thing. It kind of spreads away from this pass. And the mountains in the north are topped by the Dragon's Lance, which is this giant mountain uh, where the Eerie is sitting at the top of it, right next to a waterfall called Alyssa's Tears. And this is just, you know, a sparkling rainbow reflecting off of it, water pouring off the mountain scene. So that's mm -hmm. really where we're starting off here. She comes in, we find some quick information very fast. Her sister is cooped up in the Eerie, like all mm -hmm. the way at the top of this entire thing. She is refusing to let anyone leave if they have a sword, basically. She wants to keep as much protection around her as possible. And specifically, even for the, the tourney, she didn't mm -hmm. let anybody go participate. We also have Catelyn starting to refer back to her doubt that she has about Tyrion. Mm -hmm. uh, is he really the one that 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 should be implicated here? Are there others? Like, have I made a mistake in this? And, and interesting to see her going through that consideration. Yeah, and she specifically thinks to herself, have I made a mistake and did that mistake cost lives? We learned that they lost mm -hmm. another three men on their way through the mountains. She's been terrified about Sir Roderick, who has not been doing well from the injuries that he's taken. He's, you know, he's very sick, he's very weak, and all of these things. And uh, and she thinks, you know, her heart had turned to stone. They kept having people die on this trip. And, you know, we saw the first time she wanted to bury them, take their time, really respect the dead. And clearly that, that has not been an option. She hasn't even been able to mourn for them to even worry about it and right. for somebody who is not used to it for a, a lady in this world who is not used to this martial culture and who probably hasn't had to deal with this very much before this has probably shell-shocked her a little bit i can honestly believe it it also doesn't sound like uh it's been an easy travel for them either obviously they got into more scuffles they've lost lots of people like you just said so uh i can really only imagine we do find that when she arrives here to the Vale, she runs into her uncle, Brynden. Brynden, yes. Brynden. Uh, Brynden Tully, the great. Blackfish. Yeah. yeah. Fun character, really awesome. And also the sort of cool uncle that all the kids used to run to, it seems like, uh, when they were younger, herself yeah. included. Yeah, so he's Hoster Tully's younger brother. We learned that they've always had a kind of contentious, fiery relationship that eventually culminated in Lysa getting married. We know she and Kat both married their husbands at the same time. Mm -hmm. And Brendan said, I'm going to go with Lysa. I'm going to go to the Erie uh, and serve her and John Aaron, which is how he's ended up here. He is now the Knight of the Gate, which seems to be kind of a an official position, an official title guarding the entrance to the Vale. And as they go, Brendan kind of, Brendan professionally and, and, and well shares some concerns that he has about Lysa. <laughs> Yeah, so we, uh, we get a couple of these in a row. The first one, like you mentioned, was coming from Sir Donald Wainwood, uh, who, who gives Kat the initial information in this chapter. And we hear about Lysa kind of being paranoid and keeping the army close. And then Brendan doubles down on that really emphatically here. Yeah, and basically is saying, as far as I can understand, she's kind of gone off her rocker a little bit. She's tight up in that high you know, castle that she has. She doesn't want any soldiers to go away. Uh, no one really knows what 
she's trying to be defensive towards or about. I think he goes along to say something along the lines of like, she's kind of overbearing about her kid, this little, little Robert. Yeah. So let's uh, break this into pieces here. First off, they have this conversation as they're riding from the bloody gate to the gates of the moon, which is the the entrance to the Eyrie. Uh, Sir Roderick decides to stay behind and, and wait for healing. And this is the first kind of crack in the Vale's armor that we see. We learn that there's no maester at the bloody gate, which is a mm-hmm. surprise because uh, Lysa is keeping the maester close to take care of the kid. At the same time, uh, Merillion, the singer who has somehow survived this far, says, I want to come. I want to, you know, go up to the Eyrie and be there for the end of this. And Bronn, who she's very worried about, has been getting tight with Tyrion, says, I'm going to come too. And she doesn't really know how to get out of that. Um, right. But I just wanted to mention that because it's notable how how he, she remarks that he and Tyrion have been getting very buddy-buddy. And she's mm-hmm. concerned about that. And we kind of saw the beginning of that last time. She also, I mean, just to point it out too, and we talked about this last time as well, but like Tyrion's gotten pretty buddy-buddy with other people on the trip as well. I mean, like mm-hmm. he's, supposed to be a captive but seems to be making plenty of friends along the way yeah and he still has his weapon he's not in chains or anything and and uh the blackfish remarks on that too uh similarly notes you know Tyrion. Tyrion doesn't seem all that locked up but like you were just referencing robert aaron is kind of a central part of this conversation and we hear that there's some politics going on around in the veil surrounding him specifically mm-hmm. the veil is angry the mood is angry there's a lot of suspicions not just from lysa's side about how john aaron died but they're also really upset about the fact that jamie was named the warden of the east mm-hmm. uh an office we hear that aaron's had held for near 300 years and and brendan when he comes out to greet them actually greets them in the name of the true warden of the east robert aaron which mm-hmm. is some cracks there but the Vale lords seem to not be super confident in Robert. He's six years old. He's got this overbearing mother. He's kind of weak and sickly. He loves his dolls. He's got some feminine aspects to it, too, here. Uh, and, and there's some problems going on there. He reminded me of Sam from up in the north. Uh, just <laughs> yeah. not very masculine and not very well suited to a potential position of power. Yeah. And the femininity uh, side comes up, too. Brendan remarks specifically that because people are concerned about Robert Aaron, there is a lot of discussion about how Lysa needs to remarry and maybe produce a new heir. You know, we certainly saw how that worked with Sam, which makes it, I think that's a fantastic comparison. But that Lysa seems, in Brendan's opinion, intent on holding on to rule for herself, at least until Robert Aaron comes of age. And Kat kind of raises an eyebrow at this. Women can rule. What's the problem with that? To which he says, the right woman can. I fear your sister is not you. Yeah. And he actually goes on to talk about some of the difficulties that Lysa's had. Uh, she's, you know, whereas Catelyn's had these children and, you know, success up and as in her position in the North, uh, Lysa's really struggled. A bunch of a couple stillborns and miscarriages and it's just not not the strongest of uh, of success stories, if you will. Yeah. And there, there's definitely a clear line kind of drawn here between Lysa's fertility issues and her response to Robert Aaron, mm-hmm. uh, to her son, that she's become this overbearing mother in part because of the difficulties that she had in having a child and kind of the the loveless political nature of her marriage to John Aaron. This kid has become, her only kid has become her, her 
sole focus for her love, uh, which is very, uh, you know, an understandable position for her to be in, but clearly not inspiring confidence among the rank and file. We find that while they try to take rest, Lysa has said, no, Kat should come up to me right now. And this is not an easy journey. She is introduced to a new character, Maya Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned like a badass. Yeah, she seems great. We learned that Stone is the bastard name in the mm-hmm. Vale, like Snow. Uh, yeah, like Snow. This is the first explanation we've gotten really of that. But each region has a name they give to people who don't have names. So in the North, it's Snow. The only other reference we get is that in the in the Reach, it's Flowers, which of mm-hmm. course goes along with the Night of Flowers. They seem to have a theme there, right? Uh, but Maya is here to help Catelyn make it all the way to her sister at the top in the Eyrie. And they go on quite a long trip to get there, yeah. Uh, but they finally get there. I, I just want to talk briefly about the trip. So you know, you referenced this earlier. There's three tiers to this. So there's there's the gates of the moon at the bottom, which is Lord Nestor Royce's castle. He has been mentioned as one of the potential suitors uh, and is is brother to Yon Royce or cousin to him, who we've met before. But the three castles are stone, snow, and sky. Uh, And this just once again is a beautiful set of description. They're increasingly small as you go up the mountain, but very clearly fortified. But this is a very strong position. It kind of gave me like a mental picture of Masada in Israel, Mm. where you have this, this up a mountain fortress stronghold that you can only approach through a very narrow avenue. Uh, the story surrounding that, of course, is is that the Romans besieged the people who had holed up there, uh, but weren't really able to get up for a long time because of how narrow the access point was. And this is the same idea. Um, but the ascent is pretty dramaless until the last portion where Catelyn kind of has a panic attack on this ledge, is worried about falling off and has to be escorted by Maya Stone across, and then ultimately opts to take the basket from sky uh Mm -hmm. they have a a winch system to bring supplies up that uh is offered first to Tyrion, uh and he says no there's no chance i'm going to do that Um, but when catelyn goes up without Tyrion, Tyrion stays below uh she says screw this this was terrifying (laughs) i don't care about my pride i'm taking the basket and she does and finally she's there she gets to see her sister right as the sun is coming up uh it's been a whole night's journey to get there and you know, her sister seems so pleased to see her and how exciting they haven't seen each other in five years until others leave the room, at which point Lysa turns around and says, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you bring a Lannister here? I sent you this message to warn you not to bring them to my doorstep. And then things get weirder. Uh, and I'll even say, yeah. Catelyn kind of responds by saying, look, like no fortress is impregnable. Like, like, yeah, like just because you don't want to deal with this, this is, this is going to happen. Uh, and Lysa seems unable to reconcile with that fact, right? Like she yeah. just can't deal with that. And then we f- we meet little Robert, basically, and he's just as sickly as we heard. Yeah. Uh, more than that, he's six years old, still being breastfed. His mother is clearly hyper protective about this child. She refuses to see him as someone growing who needs to take control soon as a as a young man. And uh, and it's also a little disconnected to the realities around her. Yeah, we we also learn here that he has the shaking sickness, which seems it sounds like he's epileptic or some sort of seizure mm. aspect. But you know that he's clearly having these health issues, and it's not being helped in Catelyn's view by mm-hmm. Lysa's approach. She specifically has this line that that I liked: 
Catelyn thinks of Rickon, who's half his age and five times as fierce. This is not a kid who was ready for the problems to come. And some of that, you know, she certainly blames Lysa for that fact. But some of that, you know, it's a reinforcing cycle. Lysa seems to be overprotective because he's not ready for what's going to come. And we get that in this conversation here. We kind of have this attitude from Kat where she's been counting up soldiers and counting up allies. We need to warn my dad. I need to warn Lysa. If we're going to war, we need to make sure we get our alliances down. And Lysa's here saying, no, my kid's not ready for that. He's Mm -hmm. not safe. And I'm here to keep my kids safe, which is a fascinating response to what clearly Catelyn had been expecting to be a a warmer welcome. And that really rounds out the chapter, to be honest. I think that the next, um, I guess the last thing that's mentioned is that we have this weirdly doom, doom sounding comment from the kid. Yeah. And he says, oh, Tyrion, this captive, is he here? Is he a bad man? And the mom says, yes. And he says, well, we should make him fly which I can only think at that height is just a death sentence, uh, yeah. which seems like a really casual way to say that, especially from a straight out of the eerie. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty crazy, but you know, this is it. There's just an odd vibe entirely surrounding this scene and the entire chapter leading up to it. We've gotten all of these references, half a book's worth of buildup to meeting Lysa and clearly what Kat was expecting out of that is not the situation. And as soon as she gets to the veil, everybody else knows it. Everybody else realizes it. I wonder too, you know, I just think it's funny, but not funny, but but interesting to bring up is that so much of everything that sort of set a lot of this into motion came from that letter, Lysa to her sister. And now for her sister to get there and be like, man, maybe my sister's a little nutty, you know, I think speaks volumes about, well, wait a second, like what exactly are we trusting here? Yeah. Uh, who is it that we're putting our faith in? So I, I just thought that was interesting. Does that call into question the accusation for you at all? Well, yeah. And I'll go back even to the Aria chapter two. I, I'm starting okay. to wonder if if maybe the murder of John Aaron had nothing to do with Lannisters. Right. Is there's there's a plot going on here to to pit Lannisters and Starks against one another you know, so that a war can happen to destabilize the region so that maybe the Targaryens can come in and have a little mm-hmm. easier bit of time, like regaining the throne. And now whatever. the assassination on Bran and the framing of Tyrion has made that happen instantly instead of over the course of Ned's investigation. Or exactly. Okay. Interesting. I like that too. The other question I have for you at the close of this chapter, and then, then we'll round it out because I know we're going a little long here. Tyrion is still down at the gates of the moon. You know, we had that conversation. Catelyn is continuing to accuse him, although she has these doubts rising. We have Bronn present, who seems to be turning into somewhat of a Tyrion ally. And now we have Lysa's response. I didn't want this. I didn't want to deal with this, but maybe we'll just execute him anyway. What what do you think Tyrion has in store for him? Any thoughts on where we're headed, on on what the situation is when he gets brought up to the Eyrie? No. (laughs) No, uh, I don't think he's going to die. Okay. Uh, mostly because I know he's in later like seasons of the show. <laughs> like, okay. Fair. Uh, so, so there's not that. necessarily conclusive, but fair. But I also, I, I'm also hoping for, if not new information to help us learn more about, like, grow into the situation and the politics going on. Information to close doors on things that are not true for him. I'm hoping he gets a chance to defend himself a little bit and through that share some insights about himself, uh-huh. about the situation saying, you got to close the doors here. You got to cross this off your considerations list. Sure. My family is devious. My family is whatever, but this is why you can know for sure. We didn't have anything to do with 
fill in the blank, John Aaron right. with Bran with whatever. Okay. Yeah. And we have had Catelyn talking before about the intention of having a trial. I mean, to arrest this man. I mean, to try him for the crime he committed. Uh, so maybe he'll have an opportunity to defend himself. But the, the thing that I wanted to raise this for is Tyrion's last chapter involved a lot of him thinking about what his dad's reaction would be. And we got a reference to that in the Arya chapter from this conversation between those two men as well. And now we have reached a castle where the gate to enter the region is seems pretty impossible to get through. And then even if you get through that, you have to go through this these four castles up a mountain to the impregnable castle at the top. It seems like the military option is pretty off the table for the Lannister response here. Artillery, my friend. <laughs> you knock <laughs> they it need off. some cannons. It's, well, and I'll say too, Tyrion, Tyrion also pointed out that his father's concern is more for Lannister name than his son, Tyrion. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that how do you deal with an affront is the, is the question much more than how do you save your son? Right. Which could, you know, expose the Starks up north or Hoster Tully at River Run. There are all sorts of ways you could exact a price exactly. without necessarily getting Tyrion back. All right. Well, that uh, that covers everything I had. Yeah, me too. Man, uh, things are heating up. I'm excited to see where things are about to go. Absolutely. So we uh, we discussed earlier, we're not 100% certain where we're headed next. We know we want to do a, a halfway point recap and discussion. Uh, and then from there, we'll probably do two chapters, either alongside that or after that. Uh, but we will figure that out when the time comes. Well, I'm looking forward to it and uh, excited for the next conversation, whatever it will be about. All right. That's all for this episode. Next week, We'll be discussing what's happened so far and potentially a couple of other chapters. Keep an eye out. We'll post about it on Twitter once we've made our decision and uh, keep everybody updated. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast, which really helps a lot in terms of getting other people on board and, and bringing it to their attention. And always feel free to follow us and reach out on Twitter at Bros with Banners if you have any thoughts or feedback on the episode. Thanks, as always, for listening.